Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses. With me today, I have a very, very special guest, Mary Wise, the head volleyball coach at University of Florida, the Gators. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be here. It's great to have you. And, and as you and I have talked about, I, I am a, a proud Penn Stater, but I have admired from afar the, the great work that you've done over the years with the, uh, with the Gator volleyball team. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to digging into all that with you uh, here over the next few minutes. I will not hold your Penn State heritage against you. Uh, you come from a mix, amongst a wonderful, very successful volleyball program. We, we, we sure do. And, and you have a very successful volleyball program, um, 958 career victories. Uh, but I, what I want to do is go all the way back to, to the start of your, your career in coaching. So 21 years old, you become the head coach at Iowa State. The youngest coach in Division One, youngest head coach in Division One history at the time. When did you know you wanted to be a coach? Um, from honestly, from a pretty early age. Um, I came, I grew up in a family of educators. Both parents taught it at some point in their career, and so I was leaning towards teaching. But when after playing collegiate volleyball, and there were so few professional there. There really were there were no professional opportunities for um, players from the United States, and the national teams were just beginning to form, and it was a and I was not at that level. So to me, it just seemed coaching made a whole lot of sense if I wanted to stay with the sport. So, so we'll talk all about about coaching and leadership as we as we get into it here. As you and I have talked about, this show is called "Everybody Pulls the Tarp," and it's it's really based around a philosophy that I have that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute far beyond the boundaries of their job description. I learned this lesson many, many years ago when I was starting my career in minor league baseball. And they asked me to pull the tarp during rain delays. And that surely was not in my job description. But as I learned, you know, for a team to do great things, um, everybody has to contribute uh, in, in a variety of different ways and, and be willing to adapt. One of the things that I'm always curious when I talk to coaches, and especially college coaches, is how do you go about, obviously you're on the recruiting trail looking for great volleyball players, but how do you identify those folks that have the work ethic and the, the, the desire to be great? You know, Andrew, it's a great question. And I'm not sure we always completely know because what we're looking at players when we're recruiting, we're looking at them and getting to know them at a snapshot in time of their career. You know, we obviously, we, we talk to them, we talk to, to the people around them, the coaches, the parents, but even those people have not been in this program to really fully understand the commitment level that we're looking for in the players. So what we try to do is paint an honest picture of who we are. And it was one of the things that I learned along the way, how important it was to understand our brand and then be authentic in the recruiting. Um, I've made mistakes in the past as I, when I first got in this profession thinking, well, you know, maybe it won't be a perfect fit, but I loved her arm swing. You know, she could kill a ball, never mind the other things. And, you know, with age, you hope comes wisdom, mainly out of errors, uh, but realizing how important it is to understand the fit and then be as honest as we can in the recruiting so that we can find those players that fit the philosophy of our program. So, so you're completely honest and transparent. You say, hey, this is what it's going to take to succeed as a Gator volleyball player. And then, and then you see how they respond. 
Well, I think it's best that if we go in that that way, because even if we paint the most honest and complete picture, it's still new to them. The difference between high school and college is so vast. The game is so different. Um, we had a conversation with uh, one of our rising juniors who, when she came out of high school, she was the num ranked number one in the nation as a top player in the nation. Her name's Thayer Hall and a great player, great player in high school. And when we recruited her and she was telling someone of this recently that she appreciated the fact that we never told her, Thayer, if you come here, you're going to start immediately. There's six rotations. That's your position. Um, we did it and she was the best player coming out, but we told her is this is our, this is the path to get there. This is our vision, but you would have to do the work to get there. And, and so here she is like four years removed from that time. And she actually said that that was one of the keys to making the decision was that clarity and honesty. Wow. And, and, and she probably doesn't get that clarity and honesty from everybody on the, the recruiting trail. And your competitiveness and, and, and fire for, for greatness must come through. Let's talk about competitiveness for a second. Everybody around your program talks about your competitiveness. Where does, the, where does that competitive fire come from? Well, we used to joke, um, I grew up, uh, there's six kids in the family, and we used to fight over that last piece of the dessert. Um, and I had older brothers that picked on me. And so there was this like survival of the fittest. Uh, but I think, again, over time, we, com competing is, I think you can say it's tr being your best at as many moments as you can. And that that's, that's what we look at as competing. It's not just I win, you lose, but can we, with everyone on board, put ourselves in a position fully invested and trying to be our, our best each night, not only each night that we play, but every day when we show up in the gym or in the weight room. And that, that now is how I look at competing. So, so every day, are you, are you striving for perfection or, or how do you look at, how do you look at that? We're just trying to be this much better from yesterday. Um, this much better from ever, from yesterday. Yeah. What you can't do is coach to perfection we're going to try and strive to be the best version of ourselves, but I have coached enough um, highly intense driven women that actually thought perfection was the only way. The problem with perfection is then you're not, you're really not learning because you only learn through mistakes. And so making mistakes is the best way to learn. And that's what we strive for is to, to create a culture where they're safe in practice situations that they can make mistakes so they can grow their game. But perfection is not what we're striving for. We're just trying to be the best version of ourselves. Well, well, from a results perspective, you, you guys sure have been pretty close. I mean, 29 consecutive 25 win seasons, which I believe is um, number one in division one history by like 11 seasons or something like that. 15 SEC Coach of the Year awards for you. So by not striving for perfection, you guys are, you guys are ended up somewhere pretty great. Um, for sure. How have you been so consistent? Well, um, as any any coach will tell you, it comes down, you have to have the talent, right? And so it's it's recruiting of the right players, as I talked about earlier, that fit your fit the culture, and then developing them, getting the buy-in. And one of the beauties of being at the same school for so long is that we haven't had to reinvent the wheel. 
There are certain tried and true philosophies that the older players actually pass down to the younger players and that we get the older players teach the culture of the program. And so the, the little things that, that become big things like our, a, a phenomenal support staff that are all on the same page that we're all working together, we're interconnected, we're collaborative. That's that's the strength coach, the trainer, the nutritionist, and then we work together, but not from the top down. So so your philosophy of everyone pulls the, the tarp, I like to think, yeah, that's, that is how we try to do it here. Um, and, and, they, and for me to empower the people around me so that they can do what they do best. So you surround yourself with great people, empower them. You recruit the right players with the talent, but also the fit the culture. And then you create the an opportunity for them to learn by failure, acceptance, growing their game, taking ownership of the game. And it's one of the challenges I truly believe with coaching women. Um, female athletes are almost spoon fed in sports at a young age. They're given so many, as it's called, like do commands, do this, do that, put your left foot here and all, where they just don't explore games through, through socialization or whatever. And so what you have are females, athletes that are, they're waiting for the next piece of instruction as opposed to owning their own game and developing it. And that's one of the things we've had to, to break through and work on from the moment they arrive. It's, that's interesting, and I'm a I'm a dad of two young girls, a five year old and a two year old. Is is that changing at all? Has that has that changed over the years? In, in... honestly, Andrew, I think it's it's almost wor- It's changed, but not for the better. Meaning, uh, specializing in sports. That's to a, a male and females. Uh, too early a sports specialization. You know, we have to go, we have to pay for lessons and we have to be on this travel team. And when you go all in, you can't play multi, multiple sports. And, and so, you know, we hear about it in the men's game is that it, it's not developing the athletes if they choose and only train in one sport. Well, I think that's doubly true for females just by socialization young girls and I, I have a granddaughter, I know that they they don't do play in physical activities like the two you know, our both our sons did when they were little. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. So 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 let's let's talk about your your team a second. You you've you've assembled great teams for, for decades now. What when you get the team on campus, how do you know when a team is going to be great versus one of your versus a good team? Oh, what a great question. Um, so much has to do with the leadership and talent of your oldest players and that the best teams we've had have had great talent in the senior class, but also great leadership. Um, it's hard. I've, I've said it before. It's hard to lead from the bench. And so if you are, if you've got your best players, your most talented players are also your best leaders, then you've got the perfect situation and i shouldn't say perfect because it's not as we said it's never perfect but sure. it, it certainly makes my job easier how about that that's that's fair that's fair and and then it becomes does it become a like a locker room team-led program at that point well i hope so because um or at least that's what's worked for us is that we we promote and 
create opportunities for mentoring by position. Even so far, Andrew, when um, when freshmen arrive on campus, they're given a a guardian. We call it a gator guardian. You have your okay. gator guardian and your gator guardee. And so we're creating opportunities for those older players to help the freshmen in the transition piece. And if and then by by our training, we do a lot of collaboration within positions, meaning the middle blockers work together, the, the pin hitters work together, and they work to to make each other better. And all that does is is raise the level of talent in the gym. It if if it has to be just my voice from the top down, I don't ever think that gets the best out of the players. That's interesting, and the, the Gator Guardian thing is really fascinating. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard of anything quite like that before. Um, but people, it, it makes sense because people around your program talk about the family culture. I mean, you talked about top to bottom, head coach to strength coach, assistant coaches, um, uh, team managers. Everybody's has everybody has a role to play. But how have you created that family? That, that people say it's like a family here. It's like a family here. Well, uh, w- what we've done is lived it. I mean, that's the one thing you could say it, but do you live it? And what I mean by that um, from an organizational standpoint is what we will have twice a year, we call it our family meeting. And that is we bring all of our coaches, our support staff, our um, in terms of athletic trainer and our nutritionist and strength coach and all the sports information director, marketing, everybody who whose work touches the student athlete. And we all get in the room and meet about uh, it helps me understand what are their challenges, because I may not understand the challenges of an academic advisor on a day-to-day basis, but I think it's important that I, what her her greatest challenges and then how it, it um, affects our players. So, so I think having your staff feel that family and then, and then there's the little thing, you know, I, um, our boys, when they were real little and they were babies, they, they traveled with us. They, they were around and, they were around um, just enough that I got to see them, but not enough to be a complete distraction. Um, so it, when we call about a family atmosphere, I think it, it's the re, it's relationship building. And, and so what I described to you in terms of the organization, that's to create investment by those that we're working with. And then when they're fully invested, then they'll spend the time to build relationships. And that is how you create a family atmosphere. Your, your players talk about that family atmosphere like, we, like we've just talked about. And they also talk about how, you know, Coach Mary Wise cares about us almost more so as people than she does as volleyball players. Talk about that, that for a minute. That's really special. But that's not hard. Um, actually, Andrew, this is my favorite part of the job. And that is that seeing the, the players as people first. We always say the person over the player. Because uh, I never want their, their relationship with me be based on their production. That sends the wrong message. I mean, certainly we have expectations of them and we have goals for them. But I want them to know that how they perform on the court is not how I see them as a person and how I see them as a person is by getting to know them to, to really learn who they are. And that's the fun part of the job because when you really get to know a, a player as the person first, then you will know them and have that relationship long after they're done playing. And do you have players that, you know, maybe graduated 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago that, that play a role 
in in the program today, even if it's just an informal role? Not on a regular basis, but what we have is an open door in the in the facility. And so when they come back, I'll stop practice and our staff will tell you, no matter what drill we're in, doesn't matter what point of practice, if I see an alum walk in, we're stopping. And we're stopping. So I want all of the players to meet the alums. Um, we have on our practice facility, we have the pictures on banners of all of the multi All-Americans that have come through our program. And so every day in practice, the players can look up on the wall and see all those pictures. And so they, they put a face with the name. Now they may do it as they're stretching and cooling down at the end. They'll know that Amber McRae is above this door over here or whoever. But um, I think it's, it's my staying connected with the alums. I love doing that. I love uh, reaching out. We have a, um, we've been using a Facebook page. It's pretty fun. And during the shutdown, I was going on and capturing, just using my my phone, just capturing video and and putting it on the Facebook page. And that was pretty fun because there's video I hadn't seen in years, and they hadn't either. And we that is that is fun. It. That is fun. Speaking of the shutdown, so so this is this this whole world we're living in right now is 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 particularly challenging for everybody. But it has to be really challenging for for a coach who's trying to get a team assembled and. And, and um, prepare appropriately. H- how are you guys going about um, the, the current adversity that we're facing in terms of the social distancing and the, the COVID crisis and, and safely getting the team back back in order? Well, if I can start from the beginning, uh, and I'll never forget, it, um, March 11th, we thought we were going to be playing Georgia Tech in one of our spring competitions on Saturday. And I was so looking forward to, cause I'd been on the road recruiting like the four previous weekends. And finally I was going to be with our players right here. And that was that Friday we, we sent them home and they were on planes that night or the next day going home. And at first it was just such a shock to the system. And then as we worked through it as a staff, we thought, okay, can we take advantage of this time? Are there things we can be doing to maybe, maybe we're not in the gym, but can we, can we get better as players even without touching a ball? And so actually Andrew, to, to one of those um, points I talked earlier about young females and how they learn. I know this, and I, I saw it with my own boys, they would watch our, our sons would watch sports. It didn't matter which sport, but they would watch sports on TV. And then they go out in the backyard and they would imitate those players. Uh, a baseball player, how he held the bat or the free throw, you know, the routine for the free throw shots. And little boys just practice modeling. And why girls don't, that I don't know. Someone who studies this would know and much smarter than me would know. But first of all, females don't watch sports on TV like, like males. That's proven. And I don't think women athletes model, generally speaking, model other women athletes the way guys do. So we thought during this time, could we, could we change that? Could we provide video for our players of different? So our athletes watching other players in their same position and watch them. And, and our players admitted, a lot of them admitted, they never had, they never would think to watch video about, you know, they'll watch, you know what they'll do. They'll watch it to see how her hair looks. And I don't say that, please don't take that negatively. They watch them more superficially, but not, not to imitate their game. So we, 
could that help us? And then moving forward, we did some other things, a lot of video watching, but we also thought, are there things we can do to enhance our culture? And we're reading, we're doing a book club together. So every Wednesday, uh, right now we're reading, uh, it takes what it takes. And then, then we also had this opportunity because this is what's happening in our world is to understand racial inequity. And can we address that with our group? And I, honestly, Andrew, that's one that has been empowering to me. There are things that I've always, you know, I've tried to create a very safe, judgment-free, non-biased culture in our program. But what I, what the reality is, it's not good enough when they walk out the door and don't face that. And so we're working really hard to address it to get better, to be more than just not racist. We're going to be anti-racist and kind of having an epiphany of what my role is and how we all can be part of the change. Would that have happened during the shutdown? I don't know, Andrew. I, I think, you know, we may, who knows, who knows how history will be looked back on. But I, I like to think that we've worked really hard to be part of it, uh, to make a difference using this time and now our play and we will continue with that that as one of our former players who met with us on a zoom call talked about it's not just a moment it's a movement that she had heard i love that line and that we're not just going to change policies we're going to change hearts i love that line i love that i love that i'm gonna have to write that down that, yeah. that is that is uh that is unique um in all of this that we're talking about is 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 part of your legacy. And I, and I hate to talk about legacy with, with, with active coaches because you're still, you're still writing. You, you got probably 15, 20 more chapters of this book to write um, and stats to compile, but you, you have so many firsts, you know, next to your, next to your name, you know, first female head coach to 500 career wins, first female head coach to 800 career wins, first 21 year old to be a head coach in a division one uh, team. Do you ever step back and think about that a little bit? I mean, does it, I mean, you um, got a list of, of a million first next to your name. Uh, truthfully, no, I, because the numbers and 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 I know this may sound self deprecating, but truly, I had to ask how many SEC titles have we won. I just I don't pay attention to those because you know, as your coach, season's over. You're already working towards the next one. I do know, and I because it was so it was so difficult at the time to be trying to compete at the top level of division one and raising children. And I looked around to other uh, programs to look at other females, like, how are you doing it? What does it look like? And there weren't any at the time. There were just no female um, head coaches also raising kids in a top 10 program. And that was, that, that wasn't easy. Um, so we just sort of, you know, smoke and mirrors. So that I remember. But in terms of the numbers and the first and all, it just, you know, you're in it. You're just trying to do the best job you can. And uh, maybe, maybe sometime later when we look back. When people look back on your career, what do you want them to, to say? Have you thought about that? No, I love the question. And I probably will be thinking on it long after you and I get off from this <laughs> conversation. I hope I hope that the players will one of the first things they will say is the experience made them better people. They grew as people, not just as players, but as people from this program. And that they left as they built their self-confidence, 
that whatever they chose to do next post-college, whether it was immediately or long-term, the things that helped them be successful as players, they were able to use, be it a mother or a lawyer, whatever they are doing. Um, then I then I think we've been successful if that's happened. I, I, I sure think you've been successful, Mary, and, and I can't wait to see what, what's coming next in, in the upcoming chapters here of Florida Volleyball. Thank you so much for joining me here for a few minutes. This has been an absolute pleasure um, to learn from you, to, to hear your, more about your story and, and, and all of the, the great work you've, you've done over decades um, as the University of Florida head volleyball coach. Congratulations on all the success and thanks for joining Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Andrew.